Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Warriors, 6.5 FM, Los Angeles. 102.3 FM, Riverside. And 1050 AM, Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren. And of course, it must be a terrible Tuesday, because Michael the Ripper Holly is here. That is correct, and I'm excited today. You're excited every day. (laughs) 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 I tell the truth here. Come on. (laughs) You know, I'm a happy-go-lucky guy. Pollyanna. Yeah. person. <laughs> okay. And so, now, let's see. We are going to be talking about Bram Stoker, you know, the author of Dracula, an illustrated biography, and we've got the author of that book here, Neil R. Story. Thank you for being here, Neil. Always a pleasure, Alan. Good to be here. Great having you here, uh, Neil. Oh, Mike. Hello, buddy. Good to hear your voice. You too. Well, you know, Neil, we had... Um, we had Dacre Stoker um, on yesterday. Wonderful man. Yeah, he said he said good things about you and the biography. That's always a good start. You know, you got the living relative happy with what you've done. Is is that really? It, it, do you take that into account? Do you think about that when you're going to start like a, you know, uh, yeah, of course you've been doing this for years, but when you do a story on another person, a living person. Uh, whether it's biography or just sort of some sort of historical situation or story, do you take into account maybe what survivors would think about what you're doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. My background is very much in, in social history. And from an early age, I've known veterans of both the First and Second World War. All my First World War veterans, men and women, they're all gone now. We're rapidly losing that remarkable generation that served in the Second World War. They trusted me with their stories, stories they wouldn't often share with their own families. 
families often said to me, my dad's never told that story, my mum's never told that story. So it's, I feel it's incumbent upon me to tell, if they've given me those stories, I've got to tell them respectfully um, and in, and, and in the, the way they were told to me, you know, almost verbatim, sometimes quoting directly from the letters or interviews that we, we had together. When it comes to Bram Stoker, he's been an integral part of my life, I guess, for most of my life. Because for as long as I can remember, I, at the word Dracula, can instantly conjure up an image of Christopher Lee in the role of Dracula in one of the Hammer films. He's got a long black cloak, he's got jet black hair, he's got bloodshot eyes snarling teeth, pair of fangs, a trickle of blood in the corner of his mouth. It scared me. It really did. When I was a teenager, <laughs> I, uh, I read the book and I wanted to know, who is Bram Stoker? Who was he? I want to know about this author. And, and how did he create these monsters, or this particular monster, that's gripped my imagination for all these years? So... It was during those years I got to meet some amazing people, several of which are no longer with us, sadly. They were relatives of Bram Stoker that I have encountered, of course, Dacre, Bram's great-grandnephew, but also very dear friends that are sadly no longer with us, people like Richard Dolby, who wrote extensively on the horror genre, Robert 18 Bysang over in America, a great fan of Dracula, a great knowledge of Dracula, and my dear friend Andrew Selwyn Crowe, uh, he was a fellow paranormal researcher, and my goodness, we used to go ghost hunting together, and they've all gone. So it's not just Bram's family, his descendants, but my friends that I owe it to them to, to do the best I can to evoke the spirit of, of the great man who, who was, was and always will be Bram Stoker. Did, did you have it in your mind... Um, some sort of, I don't want to say agenda, but some sort of framework, something you wanted to to bring out about Bram that perhaps a lot of average people don't know. I wanted, I, want, I really wanted to write a book with great affection for the man. You see, a lot of people know Dracula the book, but not everybody's picked up a biography, and, they, and they've been, there has been so much material that I've been fortunate enough to uncover. Uh, interestingly, when I was doing my tumble tea research over 10 years ago, yes, this was an incredible thing that when Stuart's discovered this, uh, the, the letter, the little child letter that names Francis Tumblety as a highly likely Jack the Ripper suspect, remember little child chief inspector? Oh, yes. In... Special branch in London, the only senior police officer to remain in, in post or to be in post before the Ripper murders and still to be in post after the Ripper murders. Right. Special branch, if you don't know what they are, are they are really the National Protection Police. They, they operate above, really, CID. They, they'll work with CID, but at the end of the day, no one messed around with special branch. The, the buck stopped there. That, that was national security, security for the, Her Majesty Queen Victoria. And it was a time when there were bomb threats in London, you know, and in, indeed Fenian bombs going off in some major landmarks of the city. And it's little child and his men that are trying to uh, intercept 
the terrorists that were attacking Britain at that time, any national threat. So for little child to name the suspect, it, it was incredible. Yes, absolutely. And, and by the way, that book of yours is called The Dracula Secret. So if anybody wants to get that, I highly recommend The Dracula Secrets as well. Well, the, it took 10 years, really, of chasing up to access the material that I wanted because in the documentary with Stuart Evans, there was a short piece on there by a lady called Vivian Allen, and she was speaking about uh, a homosexual lover of um, Francis Tumbleton, and his name was Thomas Henry Hall Kane. Now, Hall Kane was the first man to sell a million books in the English language, but he's almost forgotten today as an author. In most Victorian households would have had a Hall Kane book. If they had books in their house, there would be book, uh, a Hall Kane on the shelf. It's just his works, uh, because they're quite they're romantic, they're Christian moral tales and quite twee tales of uh, sort of fisher folk in country life. Very popular in the day, made into some early films, plays, but all but forgotten today. But that puts Hall Kane into perspective. He was a big, big name. And it struck me that not only was... Well, I, I really wanted to f find the letters between him and... between Tumblety and Hall Kane. Right. We didn't know how many there were. I thought there might be 10 or 15. Certainly not tens of them in excess of 50. Uh, letters and telegrams. When eventually, I, I was actually lecturing at King William's College, and I kept chasing up uh, the, the archives in the Isle of Man. And a wonderful lady called Wendy, Wendy Thurkettle was the archivist there. And we kept in touch. She said, that, you know, they're not embargoed, but we can't release them until we've catalogued the last box. How do I know I was the first to go through the entire collection? Will I help catalogue the last box? <laughs> oh, nice. I wasn't going to miss that. Uh, to hold in my hand tumblety letters, posters, things that get, get you very, very close to the man was absolutely incredible and gave us an insight. Uh, it, it's, I mean, I didn't set out to publish the greatest collection of Ripper suspect letters from a contemporary Ripper suspect, but hey, that's what happened. I and because we've got Ruth Myers involved now, Ruth Myers is an expert witness. Current, you know, she works on serious murder cases uh, of, of a national interest in Britain and America as a forensic document examiner. So this is not just a graphologist. She looks at the authenticity of the piece. She makes sure things are not tampered with. But also, she will examine what's being said. And I thought that, that Tumblety being this uh, man who could have a hold over younger men was dictating these letters. But no, she said, no. These letters that appear to be in different hands, it's still Tumblety. Oh, that's interesting. He had such a split personality that he could, his handwriting would change clearly, his mood would change. But the letter content, uh, ooh, there's always glimmers of the dark side of that. Oh, absolutely. So, you've got it. Now, so we've got Tumblety, we've got Hall Kane. But what I also knew, being a Dracula fan, was the, the book that Bram Stoker wrote, his 1897 classic, Dracula, is dedicated to 
my dear friend, Hommy Beg. Now, Hommy Beg is, is Manx. It is Manx for little Tommy. And that was the, the name that Hall Kane's granny, his Manx granny, gave to him, little Tommy. And in fact, in the archive, I found the letter that Bram Stoker wrote to Hall Kane saying, I want to dedicate this book to you, because they were great friends. Wow. And it actually says, what should I say to, to, to Hall Kane or to Hommy Beg? And, and Hall Kane comes back and he, he would be delighted that it would be Hommy Beg. <laughs> you were touching the original documents, the original letters. That is so amazing. Well, can you imagine how it felt to hold them for the, the first time? The first time, you know, the, I, the, no gloves. It was, and the and what was incredible is that many of them are still in their original envelopes. So this was the incredible thing that I'm opening a letter that was last opened. Well, they've had the it's been catalogued, but last opened by somebody by Hall Kane, and the person that put that letter in that envelope was Francis Tumbleton. <laughs> Oh, that's absolutely. <laughs> and interestingly, with uh, what you said is changed when they said that, there was uh, evidence, even uh, the reporter said that who was speaking with Tumbledy right after the murder said he had a British accent. So he could change. He was a chameleon. Well, it, well, it amazes me because people put this argument about him being tall. Well, the thing is, if the guy's just dressed down, there are, there are short people, there are tall people. Yes. If you're wandering around in the dark, in the East End at night, people often forget these streets at night are often crowded, and particularly the night that, you know, you've got the Shadowell Dry Dock fire. There's hundreds of people on the street, but there's always hundreds of people on the street, because if you were on, on the tramp, you had nowhere to go. If you couldn't go to a DOS house, the police would keep moving you on. That's why the tramps used to go and sleep in places like Itchy Park near Christ Church in the daytime. You think of the classic uh, music hall characters. You'll always see a tramp asleep on a bench, but that would be daytime. At night, they've got to keep on moving. They call that carrying the banner. You know, the streets are alive. You'd have people coming from theatres, including the Lyceum Theatre, where Bram Stoker was the acting manager for Sir Henry Irving. Catch a penny bus, you could have a little look around the East End. Well, betide you if you got off the darn thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a thing <clears throat> that gentlemen would do that. It, it's a dark, dark, it was a dark world. And it was a very intriguing world. And, and when these crimes start, you, know, you ended up with ripper tourists. Of course you did. People paying to look out of the upper windows of houses to, on, into, the, in, into Hanbury Street. Right. You know, from the, the, the houses that backed on there, you know, that's the first fees, you know, it's incredible. But there were certainly tours, there were exhibitions, there were displays. And this, this all tangles up. So you've got Tumblety, you've got Hall Kane, you've got these incredible letters. But in that collection, Hall Kane was a huge friend of Bram Stoker. So one of the finest collections of letters from Bram Stoker are there in the Isle of Man as well. So, having photographed all the tumbleties, I thought, oh, my God, there's far more of them. But there's, there are hundreds of them, oh, well over a hundred wow. more and more documents and letters and all sorts. And the delight is, you see, the trouble with correspondence in Britain, there's a, there's a Bram Stoker correspondence collection, which is great. 
but that's mostly letters to Bram. So you get an idea of what the what's going on in his correspondence. That's great. But seeing letters from Bram himself, I mean, they're, they're scattered all over the world. I mean, the things sell for hundreds, if not thousands of pounds for, per letter. Lord knows I've had to pay some of that myself. <laughs> but, but, you know, you do. You do, because I want to have some of my, my beloved Bram things. Of course. Uh, eventually, they, they, they will find their way to an academic facility, the, the ones that will give them the best and most loving home. They really will. I'm not going to give them away. I'm white hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like Stuart Evans with the little child letter. I said, yeah, you can hand that off to me, Stuart. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's something that really needs to go into the National Archives. Yes. Either in, 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 in America or UK, because the thing is of such significance, uh, it, sh it shouldn't be in private hands. You could spill your mug of coffee on that, you know, Mike. <laughs> well, and when, when he showed it to me, it was in, in, in plastic overlay. So, uh, But I said, look over there, and I kind of hit it, and he laughed at me. But, <laughs> but he said that someone, a uh, private person, offered him 13,000 pounds for that, I think he said. It's like, that's a, it's really amazing. It's a wedge of money, but it, it's priceless Yeah. in many, many ways. I would hope that uh, a good... Uh, depository would would make him a fair offer to own that that significant document i i, I would hope that uh it, it deserves to have and i often find you know if somewhere pays decent money for something they tend to look after it whereas if it's just given uh, yeah. sometimes it's looked after other times you wonder where it's gone yeah, yeah. mike will be putting his coffee on it <laughs> be a well, coaster you know. for his coffee <laughs> Alex got a plastic sleeve on it. What more do you want? Yeah, see? That's, I could no see worries. him saying that. He was no saying it. it. Spot on. But there we are. This 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 incredible collection of letters is was there, and it and it's my Dracula secrets came out in what, what that 2012, and very soon after that we had anniversaries for Britain's involvement in, and Canada and, our, and, and, and the Allies, our involvement in the First World War. It's our commemoration event. And I was involved from 2014, 2013, planning and getting involved, and then all the way through helping cities like Norwich and Newcastle bring this alive for, for, for school kids, people of all ages, some really amazing projects. So everything went on the back burner. And so from 2018 and afterwards, well, we very soon had the dark years. Yes. And that, that gave me a chance to die, really get to grips with these letters. Now, people might think, well, why didn't you just transcribe those letters that, like you transcribed Tumbleteeth? Well, Bram Stoker was a man that was used to writing 50 letters sometimes a day. And his handwriting, even Dacre, struggles with it. I certainly struggle. It, we call it Stoker Ease because sometimes it's just a scribble. He was known for this fantastically fast handwriting, but you really have to get your eye in. And, and once you do, there's some wonderful stories and, and insights into the man from those letters. Because let's face it, he's writing to a very dear friend, an enormous, a really close friend, uh, uh, always, you know, always great affection in those letters between the two of them. It, it was rather like Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, you know, it was wonderful. But it took a long while 
to decipher them, and you've got to, you've got to get it right and find that time. So, having gone through as, as many of those as possible, uncovered all sorts of new material as well around the place in, in the Bram's life in the in the Lyceum Theatre, always tracking down new pictures. I wanted to show images of Whitby as Bram would have known it. You can. It's lovely to take great moody pictures of the place, but I wanted people to see that. It was a far quieter village that, that he knew. I wanted to explore places like Slane's Castle in America, which is where Bram, it's in a place that Bram knew as Port Errol. It's now known as Cruden Bay. And it was a quiet little fishing village, but it's got Slane's Castle on the top of this rocky outcrop. Uh, it's the Atoll family, the Earls of Atoll. And, ah, it, it's just so evocative. And thanks to those letters, we get a brand new insight into some of Bram's, into Dracula, but also some of his later stories, like The Lair of the White Worm, which, although he's, you know, he says it's set in Mercia, but actually the clues are there, typical Bram style to work it out. You can see he's setting it in the Scotland that he knew only too well. And in partly in, in Atoll Castle, uh, Blair Castle, uh, the, part of the Atoll family d dwellings in Scotland, and their collection of amazing weaponry from around the world. And, oh, it's, ah, it's a, it, Bram's world is a world I like to inhabit. And there we are, it, that wonderful theatre world and the world of myths and legends and vampires and scary stories of the late Victorian period. For me, I just say, what's, what's not to like? <laughs> right. I can see that you started in 2018 because my copy of the Dracula Secrets that you signed is 2017. <laughs> you signed ah, it. Ah. <laughs> so it was right after that you started. Well, I think, I, I think Dracula Secrets had come out a few years before. Right, they did. 2017. Yeah. I it took me a while maybe. to get to Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's been yeah, ten years. Yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 the conferences you see that they they're only organised you know once in a while. Uh, so and and rather like Dacre, you know, you keep getting conferences aren't arranged very often, but when they happen, they often want me to go along. And and at that period in time, you know, four or five years, I was still doing the circuit with uh, Dracula Secrets. Right, right, of course, mm -hmm. yeah. Most, most certainly. I, I'm, I'm fairly sure it's 2012, 2013. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Bram then. And and you, so you mentioned Hall Kane, and and their relationship, their close relationship. What about um, his boss, Sir Henry Irving? Because uh, I know that's mentioned in here, and I and and Dacre was mentioning him as well, and they were you know talking about that being an influence of the Dracula character. Well, that's absolutely right. Bram was always drawn to spooky stories. He, he loved quite dark tales, everything from twins that murder their, their, their beloved family members to ghostly tales of people inheriting a, a, a big house that nobody else in the family really wants and they find out why to their peril. He always loved those kind of stories. And he was writing them from when... Uh, he was... It, he was an Irishman. His ancestors are from England, on the Stoker side, but his mother's family, Irish as they come. And indeed, the Stoker family had been in Ireland since the late 17th century when King William's army came over and they married into the local families. Bram 
had gone through, he was in his latter, I think he was doing his master's, probably the latter years of his BA at Trinity College Dublin. And he'd always loved the theatre. And it looked like he was going to be following in his father's footsteps. His father was Abraham Stoker. And hence, Bram was never known as Abraham Jr. It was always Bram. Uh, he followed in his father's footsteps. And he, was, he went into the civil service, but he wasn't making an awful lot of money. And so he still wanted to go to the theatre. He was also seeing that when he did go to the theatrical performances, the reviews in the Dublin papers were not very good. And so he just wrote to one of the well-known Dublin newspapers and said... Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
your reviews aren't very good. I'll tell you why. And it was very respectful. He said, look, I'll do, I will write you theatrical reviews. I can see these guys, they, they want to cover other stories. They don't want to go to theatre. I'd love to go. All you have to do is pay for my ticket. And the newspaper editor, well, of course, he gets free tickets. He gets free articles. Great. Free up the reporters to cover what they want to cover. Yeah, come along, Bram. And it, this was this magical entree to the world of theatre that Bram always loved, was always drawn to. And it was during that time he saw this up-and-coming actor called Henry Irving. And he wrote the most wonderful reviews for Irving's performances. Irving, this young actor, Irving was doing okay. He was on the way up. But this guy, Stoker, kind of got him. He understood what he was at. And the pair got on very, very well initially. And Bram grew to idolise this young actor, particularly when, he, when Irving says, look, I'm going to take on the lease of the Lyceum Theatre. Wow! Oh, and he says, I would like you to be my acting manager. And, and that's incredible. What an opportunity to work with the man he idolises in, in the world of theatre that Bram had always wanted to work in. So he does. He, he, he marries Bram, leave, gives up his job, hands in his notice, Tidies it all up. He uh, creates a book, incidentally, before he leaves. He was an inspector for Irish Pet Petty Sessions. And Bram's first, first big book was actually a guide to clerks of Petty Sessions in Ireland. Even Bram Stoker described his first book as dry as dust. Anyway, he gives it, gives it up. He, goes, he marries his sweetheart, Florence, who, by the way, was the ex-fiancée of Oscar Wilde, Florence Balcom. Uh, but Florence marries Bram, and they come and start a new life in England with Irving. And Bram doesn't just want to be an acting manager. Being this writer of spooky stories, he sees plays like Faust, he sees the Scottish play, and even Hamlet, where he sees Irving as more of a mystic in his performance. Great stuff. Van der Decken, Irving in the lead. Van der Decken was the captain of the Flying Dutchman. A man more dead than alive. Oh, it's great. And Bram just wants to write a book that could be turned into a play worthy of the man he called the chief, Sir Henry Irving, later Sir Henry Irving, the greatest actor of his day. And that book, it, it, well, it began as, it was simply called The Undead. And then there was a, a cat, the central character was known as Count Wampir for a while. Then he, then Bram finds the name Dracula in Wilkinson's Guide to Wallachia while on holiday in Whitby. So it's an evolution. But the genesis of this book is Irving and the central character of Dracula. The genesis of that was Irving. But there were other persona, explorers, poet laureate, Alfred Lord Tennyson, the explorer Stanley and the explorer Richard Burton. They're the three that really uh, gave Dracula traits and, and physical attributes, but ultimately, ultimately, you see, Irving, he had Bram at his beck and call. He really did. Bram, people that remember him always said, oh, I, I remember Bram Stoker, he would, would always say in his Irish world, I'm in a mortal hurry. And yes, he'd stop for dinner and things, but it would always be in the beefsteak room or out with Irving when they were on tour. And Bram didn't really see his little boy grow up. His little boy, he was christened Irving, but the little boy never liked that name because it, it 
Irving was the man that meant he didn't see his daddy. So he was Irving Noel Stoker, but he was always known as Noel in his mature life. And I think Bram, he was addicted to Irving, you see, absolutely loyal to him, but Irving was ultimately a bit of a blood sucker because he sucked the life out of <laughs> Bram Stoker out at times. <laughs> How ironic that's. <laughs> too true. So what's your um, feeling about um, Bram's religious sort of standing? Was he a very religious person? It seemed like a lot of his writing was based on strong theology, right? He, was, he always thought about God, right? And, and how many bad people or bad things were in the world. Isn't that sort of a, a true statement about him? I believe Bram Stoker was a beautiful soul. I really do. He, but not, not overly pious. He was a, he was, a, he would love, uh, good storytelling, good wine, good food, good company, men and women. But his stories are recalled. He, he had a wealth of them, but he would never resort to vulgarity. And I, I admire that in any man. He, I would have, I'm sure if you love good times, good food, good drink, you, you would have loved Bram. Absolutely. As a religious man, well, he was raised in in a very religious household. His father, Abraham, was a, quite a meek man, really, in, in that he he was meek in the in the in under the gaze of God. Every meal that would be preceded with prayers. Every child would, you know, Bram couldn't walk until he was seven, sadly. So I doubt he would have gone to many church services when he was a very small kid. But the family would attend church uh, and it was it was Church of Ireland so they're, they're not Catholics but they're Church of Ireland and the family were devout and I think that certainly left its mark on Bram but Bram had a great fascination in in faith and belief and it was certainly something that he used to discuss with Hall Kane. Uh, Hall Kane actually produced a book called The Christian. But he also looked at Middle Eastern faiths and Far Eastern faith. Uh, Richard Burton, uh, before Dracula was written, he wrote a book called Vikram and the Vampire, which often, a lot of people don't, really, don't even know about. And it, it's significant because they were friends. They were acquainted with each other. And Vikram is a, it's a Hindu story of Vikram and, and these vampires that occupy and reanimate the bodies of the dead so there's a great there's a great f interest in faith but i think the enduring faith interest for 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 bram maybe faith is not quite the right word but the interest that captured him particularly in his later years was a fascination with the power of the mind now, that could be how the mind can be affected and influenced by uh, devout worship, the visions that you could possibly see in devout worship. But certainly, uh, he, wanted, he really wanted to explore, and he discussed this with a very eminent man, an expert on the brain and the mind, by the name of Sir Oliver Lodge, who was um, one of the founding members of the Society of Psychic Research which, incidentally, Bram Stoker was also a member of that, as was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. So you've got this group of people very, very interested in, in the power of the mind. And Bram, you, if you remember in Dracula, Dracula can control Renfield hundreds of miles away 
he can influence over. He, Dracula has power over the creatures of the night from his mind, and this absolutely fascinated him. It also connected to his friend Gerald de Maurier, who is an ancestor of Daphne de Maurier. I think that was her granddad. Gerald de Maurier created a play called Trilby, and in Trilby, the young, impressionable French girl is uh, mesmerised by uh, an erstwhile uh, Svengali. And yes, he gives her the ability to sing, but he would have his wicked way with young, impressionable Trilby. So it's all these kind of mind games, and by the time you get to the lair of the white worm, you will see characters fighting out duels of the mind, in, in which one of the characters, and I won't spoil the story because it's worth reading, one of the characters is killed uh, in a mind-to-mind -mind duel. So again, it's, it's an organic uh, appreciation of faith, the mind, understanding, but all, I, I think he also had a, a goodness inside him too. Uh, that Bram it's in the very best of any religion if it's got c with kindness and love and understanding that's what Bram had in his heart question um, speak, uh, connected to the religion uh, at the Lyceum Theatre that Order of the Golden Dawn uh, they were starting up there and, and Bram you had made a comment that Bram would not have been a member of it but would have maybe kind of indirectly maybe endorsed it, or but he would not have been a member because of his faith background? Is that what I get, gather? It's a, it's a tricky one. We don't know for sure. It, we know that Bram and Sir Henry Irving were both Freemasons. Uh, they were initiated. They, they didn't progress greatly over the years. Bram was... No, not as regular as Irving was. I expect it's because of the, the workload that Irving gave him. <laughs> but these are secret organisations. And we don't... I mean, sometimes, with an organisation like the Golden Dawn, we know that several people who were very, very friendly with Bram were members. We cannot prove... There's, there's no document that exists at this moment in time. We cannot prove whether he was a member or not. There's no account that... But they... they Who's ever seen an account of one of these meetings where it details who was present? Have we got a complete list of the Golden Dawn? I, I haven't been able to find one. There are notable members. There are people that mentioned their own name. You know, they remember in their own memoirs. But I haven't seen a role of all the members. So we don't know for sure. But what we do know for sure that he, he was intrigued. He may well have gone to, attended a meeting or two. I don't know what the rules of the Golden Dawn were. Uh, it may be like the Freemasons that we see today. There will be evenings where you can engage with Freemasons without being initiated. It's in the same way within witchcraft. Uh, I have a number of friends, and indeed I, I guested at a coven meeting, at, at several coven meetings, at the invitation of covens. It doesn't mean I'm a witch. It's just, meet us, let us show you some of the things that we do. So... We don't know for sure. I'm sure he would have been intrigued. I don't think it was due to a deep faith uh, that would have prevented him joining. I, I have to say, it comes back to Bram always saying that he was in a mortal hurry. And in all of those years that he was at the Lyceum, every single account, he was just, the man's work, he, he, he almost worked himself to death. And 
I think it was for no other reason than he didn't have the spare time, for the same reason he didn't have the spare time to carry on with Freemasonry and progress. He's got a family he's trying to juggle and see them, but he, he also has this theatre and all-consuming Irving. So when Irving's going out and doing his Masonics, and the, he's, I mean, normally Bram would go with him, he would shadow him to, to talk to the speeches anyway, wherever he went. So I think it's more of not really having the time to, to do that. How curious that the Order of the Golden Dawn, one of their goals was to look for the Philosopher's Stone, Elixir of Life, and Dracula is immortal. <laughs> Absolutely right. These are all things that undoubtedly interested Bram. That's why he would have been very intrigued by the meetings, you know, he he would really, yeah, it, it's, it is compatible. But if you read uh, Bram's books over the years, in, including his, his non-fiction articles, you will see that he's got a lot of interest in the, the people that were, were trying to make the Philosopher's Stone or to, uh, necromancers and, and also looking at those like Cagliostro, uh, and and trying to make gold out of purest green stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and indeed, Bram did produce a book on fraudsters and tricksters, a serious book on this. He was also interested in in this idea of switching uh, noble characters. The idea of was Queen Elizabeth the first actually a boy? And uh, and boys who would be king, you know, the, the real, the ones who really should be king, the Winslow boy, was absolutely fascinating to Bram to, to the degree that in books after Dracula, it's de they are dedicated to people who had inspired uh, and introduced Bram to such stories. Totally interesting. So when did that, that uh, coven you went to for an event with witches, was that like an orgy? <laughs> no, no, it, it, I, I, I will have to say I, I'll have to remain this in some confidence. But uh, over over these years, I, I've got to know and become very friendly, and I mean this in the most respectful and loving way, with Wiccans, uh, witches, and those that follow uh, a natural path in, in religion. I find them very lovely, calm, beautiful people. Uh, I count one of my best friends, well, two best friends, uh, really good friends, are high priestesses. And no, I, there was no nudity involved, but I have been on tours where you have quite a large group of ladies that wish to visit historic sites. And they will uh, want to visit them very early in the morning when there's no one around. They'll get special permission to go to these ancient sites and dance around stones. And they will be in sort of zippy mat, long zippy mats and a pair of shoes, but I know there's nothing underneath those coats. And they always say, oh, Mr. Story or Neil, would you, would you like to come and join us? Come and dance. <laughs> of course, those mornings are very, very cold. And yeah. the, the women, they, they've got nothing to lose, have they? It's just it's got the dew and the cool of the air. Me, you know, I've got self-esteem issues. You know, I, 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 I wouldn't like to go out <laughs> in a cold winter's morning and uh, n not do myself the greatest service, if you see what I mean. I, I, right. Everything retracts in right. the cold, Mr. Warren, don't you know? 
<laughs> oh, it could be fun. Let loose. Have a good time. <laughs> you know, come on. So, you know, I can't help but say that, you know, you're one of those writers that lives through what you write. You you go through each event. You You take the time and really try to understand and feel the research you're doing, like in something like this especially. So when you go through this type of thing, you're kind of living through, let's just say, what Bram lived through, or you're trying to put yourself in that place so you can write about an authentic, you know, history of who this man was. I can't help but think that when you do this and live through this and spend the years that you do dedicated to this, that it must have some sort of change on you. And I, I wonder if you look at yourself now as compared to when you started researching seriously, Bram, like say 10 years or whatever you say, how, can you actually see or feel a change that you've come out of with? So that's a fascinating question. I always felt I was drawn to Bram Stoker because I felt a kindred spirit with him. And over the years of finding where he, he lived and worked and where he visited. I've always loved them, always loved those places. And I think it's certainly brought us closer together. But I have no pretensions that, are, you know, I'm not reliving the life of Bram Stoker, but I like to think I have an affinity with him. And to be honest with you, I'm a, I'm a man who's always enjoyed uh, good food and wine, theatre, literature, ghosts, the paranormal, legends. So thanks to Bram, he's enhanced my journey. I love the man. I, I, I love... He had, he had, like all of us, he has his faults. But I adore the fact he knew what it was to be a good friend. And of course, life does present its challenges to all of us now and again. I've known a broken heart. And I know that Bram did in, in, in some ways. If, if people betrayed him in, in friendship, that would really, really hurt, because if you were a friend of Bram's, he would be a friend of yours for life. He was a very, very special man. And, and thanks to Bram, I've met the most extraordinary and wonderful people on both sides of the Atlantic. So yes, that has changed my life for the better. Bram Stoker was one of the very first, in fact, I think he wrote the first really well-regarded travelogue of America, believe it or not. Mm. It's called A Glimpse of America, and it was, it was really his observations on America while on tour with the Lyceum Company. But it's brilliant because he's looking at these, these fledgling cities in the late 19th century. You've got to remember, you know, this is still a time of the American West. You know, so you've got gunfights going on. Whereas, you know, he's seeing these growing cities where they're performing places, New York and Chicago and San Francisco, you know, incredible places at an incredible time that really are the birth of modern America. Uh, I, I, if it had not been for Bram, I, I would not have, I wouldn't have had much of an entree to America. When I was a kid, what was it? Disney World. You know, what did I see of Americans on TV? Uh, the, the TV series Dallas and Westerns <laughs> and war films. 
and and it's not the it's not the impression. I mean, I remember I was in my in my thirties when I forties when I first went to America, and I was expecting the country to be arid in the back of my mind. I kind of knew it wasn't, but I was expecting you know I was going to stay in Texas, and I was expecting to see oil donkeys dipping all over the place and to be walking amongst desert. And when I well I went in 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 Texas. Near San Antonio, it was green. It was beautiful, and the people were absolutely lovely. So it's thanks to Bram that that I've had that experience. And I think I, I, I Arthur Mee, the great British author, described himself as a child of wonder, even when he was in his seventies. And I like to think that's me. And I, I think Bram was the same. When you look in in his um, book Under the Sunset, which his first fiction book that was published. It was a kid's book, but it's full of all sorts of grim tales that you really wouldn't see. Kids down, sit down and tell kids. He, he was just a child wonder, so am I. And, and I think the day you grow up and stop learning is the day you die. Yes, mm. for sure. Let's talk about where people find you, where they find the book, and uh, besides a good pub. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a, good re- a, a good restaurant with good wine is always a, 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 good, a good bet. Um, to find me next year, all being well, I shall be over in Salem for a wonderful <laughs> event where we'll be telling stories of witches and vampires in old and new England. Uh, I, I can't name any of the other guests at the moment. It's all a bit tentative, but you can probably guess who I'll be inviting if he can make it. <laughs> I have a sister that lives just just a few miles from there, so oh, I might my. have to visit my sister that weekend. That would be absolutely <laughs> wonderful. And I'd love to have Dacre if he, he can make it. And we, we, But it's early planning stages. Anyway, that's with Mysterious Adventures Tours. But if you want to find me, my publishers are Pen and Sword. They are based in Great Britain, Pen and Sword Books, but they distribute in America. So the book will be distributing in America, I think, any day. So that, that my Bram Stoker, author of Dracula, illustrated biography, that's going to be available. And, of course, you can get it from online retailers or go to a local bookstore. But there's, a, there's my author bio on there, and if people really, really are moved, and they want to track me down and, and be a Facebook friend, they're very, very welcome. So that's on my Christmas list for sure. <laughs> well, there we go. Now we know. <laughs> we'll have it all up on the website, of course. And so the book we're talking about, Bram Stoker, author of Dracula, an illustrated biography, and it's written by Neil R. Story. Thank you for being here. A pleasure, Alan. Lovely to talk to you as ever, and all the best to you, Mike. Oh, you too, Neil. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. 
This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.